1: It seems to have gone down well because i was on your twitter before we started and when you scroll down through your feed like i was going for like five minutes and it's all just people like saying how much they've enjoyed it and stuff
2: and that's good well, I'm, I'm de- whatever i'm doing is working then that's uh, <laughs> that's good yeah that's the that's the curated list to be fair all the pos- all the feedback's been positive so like i'm dead happy i was worried that i mean i've had negative feedback in the past and i kind of worry that I was like, oh, surely there'll be some negative stuff kicking about. But so far, like, apart from a couple of comments about how unenthusiastic um, my presenting <laughs> was, like, which I can live with, it's not wrong. Um, well, I think I saw really someone so they found it
1: quite refreshing, like just having uh, someone normal on TV as opposed to, there's a work and a disconnect when someone does that presenter voice, you know what I mean?
2: I think it's this, this hopefully the style is kind of a bit more, different to what people are used to seeing which i think people are liking but but yeah i still need to get it out of there i mean they've been they've been sort of featuring at places and like putting it on it was on the bbc news website briefly yesterday and stuff like that so i have been getting like messages from folk like folk that i don't know i mean like mates have got in touch and said they liked it but i've also been having like sort of random folk that i don't know getting in touch which i feel like is a good sign that's that kind of more meaningful
1: are. isn't it a little bit yeah more meaningful in a, a different way
2: high. Because if it's just your mate, you'd be like, "Oh, well, that's good, but they kind of have to say they like it, um whereas when people from that you've never heard of are getting in touch, you sort of think well they've they've like watched it, then like looked me up, found me, and then gone to the effort to message me and I'm like, if I was you know because I watched loads of stuff, it doesn't come into my head to find out who made it and message them. That's almost like a few extra steps, so I feel like if they've done yeah. that, there's probably also a bunch of folk sort of, that wouldn't do that, that have also enjoyed it, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to kind of imagine, like, not everyone that watches it, obviously, messages to say so, that's only, like, a per- like probably a small percentage, so hopefully the numbers are kind of, like, reasonable, but it is kind of hard to, it's hard to gauge, because it's not like it has a little play yeah. number next to the iPlayer, you know?
1: I guess it's handy, though, if you've got that BBC platform, like, you've kind of got mm. a variety of ways they can push it. Like, I saw you were on Janice Forsyth on Monday,
2: earlier on in the week. Aye. Um, yeah, on Monday, aye. Yeah, that was good. That was good fun. It's totally weird being on the radio, but like from your bedroom. <laughs> but I suppose it's like what we're doing just now. but It's live though, isn't it? It's live. So there was a pressure of like, you were kind of listening to it and then it sort of, it doesn't count you down, but you get like a little warning, like you're on after the yeah after the song. And then it was like, right. And then it's just like, she just sort of says hello, and then you're like, all right. <laughs> Here we and go. You just have to hope that it's like, yeah. I'm like, hi, like kind of in amazement that she can actually hear me, because it's just me on my computer. but um, And it's like on a browser, they just send you a browser link, and it does it all in like Google Chrome. So you don't have to like... Do anything. It's not even like Zoom or anything. You know, you actually just like open up, click a link, and that's you in. So
1: it take the pressure yeah. off a little bit
2: to what it would normally be if you are on radio. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe a wee bit. I've done it. Because I've been on our show once back in 2017 with another guy that was, like he was promoting the Scottish Mental Health and Arts Film Festival and I had a little film in it so I was like, we were in the studio. And yeah, that was, there was probably more pressure in that because there's more build-up, like you're going through, like I was going through to Glasgow and then you're waiting in the, the waiting area and you're getting taken up by, you know, the producer. And got your BBC like, pass on. Ah, you got all that sort of <laughs> stuff around it which does add a certain hype. And then it's over in like five minutes, and then you got to go all the way back home again. But whereas this was like, I just had to sign into the link like ten minutes beforehand. I was in. That was me. So that was kind of, yeah, I guess less pressure. But you, you do feel like you could just say anything, and get you could say the wrong thing. But it was, it was. It seemed to go okay. good, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Yeah,
1: I have. I think we should start off, Duncan. That um, we've got better history, right. Because I think it probably almost three years ago to the day you came up to Aberdeen and did a talk three for the, years ago for the BFI Blame. film. What was it? BFI Film Academy.
2: Yeah, it was like BFI Film Academy. What was I doing? Like an introduction to documentary or something? Was it? Yeah. It was, some, it was something. was sort of. I felt I feel like it was quite broad, and I was maybe just talking about how to get your film online or or something. Because I've done a, I've done two or three i think the one that i met you at was kind of about putting the films online and trying to like get out there a wee bit
1: i think so because you spoke a lot about lady with a lamp and how that kind of took off they're just uploading it and then overnight boom
2: I, the one that i probably did the least amount of. well <laughs> it's funny because i did all i did a load of work for that put it on youtube and did nothing and it exploded on youtube and all the work i'd done on vimeo i got like 10 20,000 <laughs> views but yeah but yeah i can't believe that's three years ago it feels like pretty crazy not that long ago yeah but yeah that's when we met (laughs) (laughs) and then you've well sorry i was going to ask what you've been doing since but you you probably i kind of know bits and bobs but yeah
1: yeah because we kind of we emailed back and forth for i think maybe about half a year after that i kind of made some films that ripped you off a little bit i think and
2: (laughs) (laughs) not at all (laughs) no no i think that's if anything uh, a compliment or a positive bit of positive praise if it was worth ripping off <laughs> but i don't think they did i think they had their own their own thing going on
1: yeah it's crazy i think that was kind of three years ago but yeah so i kind of did them and then i'm at ECA now which you actually gave a talk out on monday that I was that
2: we well, had that as well yeah i didn't i didn't uh, i didn't put that i did that didn't click but yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> I kind of just, I didn't, I just kind of spoke and then uh, had no idea who was there. How but did you from, find there that? Were you going like... to
1: speak into the, the screen?
2: Aye. It's weird. Because there was no one, no one had their cameras on or anything really. It was just kind of like speaking and I mean, I could see the people were online still watching it. So I was like, I think it's going all right. And then obviously there's the comments and stuff, but it was a bit of a strange experience doing a workshop in digital sense. It's quite, I mean, it's quite good though, because it doesn't not, I mean, I like doing them in person, but I, because I, uh, you get to meet folk, but they still kind of work digitally because and you actually, it doesn't take as long because you're, you're just doing it and then you sort of sign off and then I'm like, I could do other stuff with my day as well. Whereas normally <laughs> when you're doing a workshop, that's kind of the whole day, even if it is only an hour. So it was good.
1: Yeah. Well, like when you traveled up to Aberdeen, that takes like. That's like a six-hour journey time, pretty much.
2: Pretty much, yeah. I don't know if that trip's the trip that I got stuck on the way back as well. There was, there was a workshop that I was doing for the same people. It was, the same, like it was a BFI one. It might have been the year after, but there was one of them that I got stuck on the way back for like hours on yep. the track. <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely takes longer when that happens.
1: Were you, yeah. Had you started doing the ITV film at that point about the ferry crossing? Probably. Because I wondered if that Probably. was maybe why you were up.
2: It wouldn't have been why I was up, but I do remember that it felt like there was a while where I was always going to Aberdeen, and most of it was for filming that. But I do remember there was a few other things as well, like that workshop. So yeah, maybe, um, I mean, what, what was three years ago? I could probably figure out, because we're on 2021.
1: I think so the the Brexit film hadn't come out. You spoke about that, that you were working on that. That was kind of the project, I think, that was in your immediate... Right vision
2: uh, if it was 2018 or so and then yeah i probably would have been working on that around about then definitely filming it maybe not editing yet but it probably was commissioned and i was sort of taking loads of trips to aberdeen and then up to shetland and back or maybe it had just come out i've no idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> i should know if it be in my life but i don't <laughs> do
1: you find you lose track though, that it kind of all just blends into the one thing
2: a wee bit a wee bit i mean uh I know what order the short films come in that I've done. The I, th- I suppose because of the, the All Aboard program like was almost like another thing on top of that. I kind of forget when it came out and when I was filming it. But I know it was like roughly 2017, 18, 19-ish. But I kind of don't place it as like chronological as the other stuff because it was kind of separate to a lot of the other stuff I was doing. It, it sort of, it kind of slips by me a wee bit sometimes, yeah.
1: I guess, well, because I mean, if we look at the series that just came out, you shut the pilot for that in like 2019, but then it doesn't emerge until like a year and a half later.
2: Yeah, that's it. It's frustrating how long things take, but it's because we did the pilot. I mean, even before that, there was me like, there was like the initial conversation about the series was back in actually October 2018. It's when I had the kind of first meeting about whether I could maybe do something or not. And it was like, I had a whole bunch of ideas. Which ended up sort of getting glued together and being what Scary Adult Things is. Almost like I kind of wanted to do something on side hustles and I wanted to do something on living at home. And like almost all the different episodes in a way kind of, it was like, well, instead of doing single documentaries, how about it's like a series and I'm kind of going investigating these things. That was the conversation back in 2018, late 2018, with then sort of pitching it formally early 2019. And then it getting commissioned just in the spring. And then I'm like doing the pilot over the summer of 2019. So all that filming that you see in episode one mostly is is, is is takes place then. And then there was obviously the next stage of like, okay, well, you know, does the BBC like it? Uh, and so then there's a sort of waiting period. And then there's a like, yeah, we like it. What would the series look like? And it's like, okay, here's what the series, you know, here's all the episode. So that we would like to do, all this kind of stuff, and then there was the sort of next. You had to kind of then pitch it again, so it was like pitching the series formally, kind of the end of twenty nineteen into twenty twenty, and then it got commissioned. You know, because there's quite a lot of weeks it takes. For, it takes a sort of just set amount of weeks for it to get ran past all the various people that needs to get ran past for it to get green greenlit. So, and then it got commissioned. I think I feel like it was a couple of weeks before lockdown. Or, like things got really bad with the virus. <laughs> so it like,, aye, so it's weird when you think about how long all that took. And obviously I was doing other stuff. It's not like I was sitting about waiting for like waiting for, for it to happen, but it was sort of something you're chipping away, and like you do a bit of work, you, know, you do the pilot, you do the proposals and stuff, and it just takes ages, but, and then eventually you got told we can do it, and then suddenly the country goes into like lockdown, which is which is right, again. Well, no, nah, it was like, there was a sort of, um, the BBC were really good because they were like, obviously things have changed a wee bit, but they got in touch with us, like where they got in touch with like I'm told they did this with like every programme that was kind of ongoing and they were like, basically we need to have a chat to sort of see what this state of play is, but we're committed to doing it because we've commissioned it, you know, there's no backtracking, you know, it's like you're definitely doing it, so it's like, okay, good, Um, So that was quite reassuring when I found that out because I was getting a bit worried that it would just get cancelled. But, you know, they were like, no, no, we definitely want you to do it. Obviously, it might be a bit of a while before you can do it, but we'll figure that out. So we had a chat. Some point in lockdown decided that they were like, okay, well, how about we give you a bit of the budget up front and you'll do all the research. So you find all the contributors or as many as you can for the series during lockdown remotely so that you're not just sitting about waiting. And then once things open up and open up enough that you can then film the thing, you obviously are kind of set ready to go. So that's kind of what we did. We did like five weeks uh, in lockdown of of finding contributors, working with a researcher remotely and all this kind of stuff so that we were ready to go, which ended up being uh, we started filming sort of end of August. And I pretty much haven't stopped until like, I feel like I still haven't really stopped fully because I'm like (laughs) promoting the show. You know, we delivered it in, you know what, like, I don't even know because my calendar's all over the place now that I almost, I almost said, I almost just said we delivered it in April, which is next month, <laughs> but we delivered it, uh, <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, we delivered it like February, late February. So I was kind of full time, apart from two weeks of Christmas, working on the show up until the end of February there. That's a pretty and then turnaround, if it's coming out weeks, like mid-March yeah well that's it and then obviously they were like keen to get it on straight away so which is great because i don't want you know like that's like amazing that they were able to put it on so quick so so yeah now if i sort I had a couple of weeks where i was kind of like getting to go out for some walks and like remember what my life used to look like before i was making <laughs> a tv series and then and now it's on to kind of promoting every day so i'm kind of back into it now for like a wee while and then i guess uh it'll exist as a series and I'll have to start doing something else. Otherwise I'll run out of like money. <laughs> <laughs> if you know <laughs> so well, yeah. it's,
1: it's up on iPlayer forever now, I think, isn't it? It's kind of up there. It stays yeah, at,
2: at least for a year. So I think what often happens is they put it up for a year and then I've seen them do this with other programs. They'll like repeat it so that it's then up for another year, but it'll definitely be up for a year. Whether or not it's up longer uh, isn't really up to me, but, um, you think they would Hopefully. just have
1: everything up, so they would kind of have the whole catalog there. I
2: know their general unless they strategy. license it out, I guess. Yeah, well, that's that's it. But I think their general strategy is to not do as much of that now. Like, and that's that's. I don't know. I'm definitely not an expert on the BBC's long term strategy, but what I heard on the radio the other day was like that they were kind of not doing as much licensing out, and they wanted to keep more on iPlayer and like you know they got that like BritBox thing, um, yeah. which I've never I've never actually used. But I'm like I think their hope is that they will have stuff available for longer periods of time. But whether that happens with our show, like I have no idea. It's kind of uh, over to them, really. Um, once you deliver it, it's like yeah for that first year anyway. It's definitely theirs, and like it's good that it's up for so long. So obviously, my hope is that. Obviously, I'm trying to get people to watch it, but in a couple of months' time, you know, or like half a year's time, people might just discover it, which would be quite nice as well, do you know? It seems like Um, a bit of
1: a word-of-mouth show, if that makes sense. It seems like something that people uh, would watch and then tell someone else, and it kind of just gathers steam that way.
2: I think so, I My mate referred to it as a... uh, (laughs) I've never heard this term, but uh, I quite liked it. A sleeper hit, where (laughs) it's sort of like it goes out, but you maybe don't hear about it straight away, but then it kind of gets recommended to you through a friend of a friend and i think that that seems to be what's happening from what i can see is like you know my mates are telling their mates and and then now i'm getting messages from like mates of mates and you know things like that which is which is good and if it keeps going like that i mean all the feedback's been positive so that's kind of ideal it just keeps going you never know i know that the bbc have been doing quite a lot like putting on um like obviously right now, it's like if you go on the BBC Scotland iPlayer page right now, it's like featured and stuff as well. So people hopefully will click on it. But yeah, I don't know. I was trying to, I mean, doing stuff like this helps as well, like podcasts and things. Um, but yeah, word of mouth. But it's funny how many folk have messaged me and been like, oh, you know, I've been a fan of your stuff for for a while, but just wanted to get in touch. And you're like, all right. And they don't even like follow me on social media or anything. They still don't follow me. They just message me once. (laughs) It's not like they don't want to sign up for my spam. (laughs) They just wanted to be like, oh, by the way, I've seen a few things you've done over the years. Really good. Just wanted to see, you know, like, which is really nice as well. And so, like, it just sort of shows that just because, you know, you don't have a huge follower count or whatever it is that people look for, like a marker of uh, sort of an indication of how, how much your reach is, it doesn't mean that people aren't still. Fans and still kind of following what you're doing, which is quite good. So I think people just assume now it's like it's all about your the amount of people you have on um, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. But actually, there's kind of a whole load of other people out there that are aware of your work and kind of watching it as well, which is quite
1: nice. Yeah, there doesn't really seem to be any uh, like rhyme or reason to it. Like you see it with podcasts as well, like you might have a podcast with hardly any followers but gets massive guests. And then you might have one with like 10,000 that doesn't really get anybody on that's that big. There doesn't really seem to be a method to it.
2: That's it. And sometimes people like, yeah, podcasts kind of build audiences over time. And actually they, people then go back through the episodes. Like I know, um, like I've done that with podcasts. Like, uh, what does it say? Like I was listening to Adam Buxton's podcast the other day for the first time ever, really. Wow. I've, which is weird because <laughs> I've listened to his audiobook for some reason, just never listened to his podcast. Which is weird. I don't know why I hadn't. But I clicked on it and I was like, Oh cool, so who's he interviewed? And I was like going back through ones, scrolling yeah. like way down just to see who there was and I was like, All right, Robbie Williams, right? I'm in on that. let's see what Robbie's. <laughs> I like how that's Robbie's your go-to one. That was the first one. I was like, <laughs> right, Robbie Williams, I want to know <laughs> what he's saying to Adam Buxton. That seemed to me like almost a bit of an odd pairing. So I was That's quite an interesting interested. one, yeah. Because
1: I think yeah. Robbie at the start of that said something like he wanted to go on to prove that he wasn't a dick.
0: Yeah. But then there are
1: parts in it where he still kind of comes across like a bit of a (laughs) dick.
2: I think it's just his sort of, uh, his his swagger is always something in it that's sort of, I kind of weirdly can't help but admire how much he sort of always looks like he's enjoying himself. I don't know. Yeah, sort of wish I was able to effortlessly um, (laughs) look like I was having fun all the time. But I have the opposite problem, whereas people always assume that I'm not having fun. Whereas I'm like, no, no, I am. It just doesn't show on the face <laughs> or in the voice.
1: You said earlier on that when you, you know, when you were starting off this show, it kind of came from the idea that you wanted to make a film about each of the individual subjects, and then it kind of emerged as a series. At what point did you kind of notice the thread between all the different topics and realise, oh, this could be something bigger rather than individual pieces?
2: I guess they were all born out of like, my own insecurities in some way. So I think the thing that linked them for me was a bit like, well... things that i'm interested in but then it was probably someone else that pointed out like well they're kind of all like you know these kind of adulting problems or like whatever and i was like all right like kind of right enough it's maybe about growing up it's maybe about like feeling a bit like a failure or a bit daft that was the thing that seemed to be linking them all in the back of my head i was like well as long as i'm kind of interested in it and it's something that i can relate to then it'll be it'll fit do you know what i mean but then yeah i think it was more like well as someone who's not very well known it needs to be like there needs to be a kind of like what is it actually about it's not just like some bloke called duncan goes out and films whatever he fancies do you know what i mean it was like it has to be uh, like something that appeals to an audience it's like right yeah yeah um so then it was just like well i think it's that sort of like reaching a your late 20s still living at home thinking like I feel a bit daft and like I look at stuff like folk that stream games and I'm like ah, maybe I could do that but like sort of not being sure about it as well and then not having enough confidence to maybe do it and then like and kind of just digging into stuff like in fitness gets a lot more tricky when you get a bit older as well you know your your knees start packing in And you're like, well, what should I be doing? Like, you know, what, like what everyone else seems to have some kind of fitness resume and all this sort of stuff. So all these things kind of just all started to link together quite well. And then working with them, like Studio Something, who I kind of partnered up with to produce the series, they they helped a lot on um, distilling the the series uh, kind of idea and concept quite a lot as well. And sort of like reining in from just me wanting to go out and film stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So I think it's good. I think it's a good balance of both now. Do you know?
1: So is it quite tightly kind of worked out before you're going and doing the filming? Are you kind of only filming what you need?
2: Nah, not, nah. I mean, I, I film far too much. That's, <laughs> if the editor that I worked with, Erica, was here, she would, she would tell you that I definitely film far too much. But I think there was an element of like, we, we there was probably like more planning than I would normally do because I, I quite like to just rock up and film. So there was planning in that like we obviously found contributors so the researcher then also spoke to them on a zoom call to i suppose interview them but that sounds a bit formal like it was more just have a chat and ask a kind of few basic questions about what they do and like things like that and then from there like i would watch some of that interview and then we would also run it past the bbc commissioner to sort of check what her Like take on it was well like just to sort of sign them off because obviously they were putting putting money into like a series it was like they needed a bit of reassurance about like who you actually speaking to and stuff so that was all fine but that was obviously something a bit new for me like I'm used to just kind of doing stuff and filming whoever I want so uh, I was quite keen to not be involved in the the Zoom interviews because I I wanted to keep that kind of freshness so when I meet them on screen that's genuinely the first time I'm meeting them rather than kind of already having interviewed them for the purposes of putting them in a film. I was kind of like really keen to avoid doing that. So there was like preparation like that. And we had a sort of like, well, why are we interviewing this person? You know, kind of what do they serve? What's their story point in the thing? And sometimes the story point we kind of planned and thought was going to work turned into a different story point. So there was always like because it's documentary, it's always going to change and it's always going to turn into something else. Um, but we did have a certain amount of structure put in place. The other thing I would do would be to sort of have a, a loose plan of like, okay, well, if, um, so, say, in episode four, when I go to interview like Andrew, the, the, the gamer who is, just, I suppose, trying to reassure me that gaming's fine because he games and tells everyone and loves it. Just the and guy in Skype yeah and the guy yeah, yeah. who's like the kind of unashamed gamer who just loves it doesn't matter who knows about it and uh, i'm kind of this gamer but feeling a bit awkward about talent so it was kind of like i'm going to him to i guess to get that reassurance that it's all right and you thrashed so him at ping-pong and i thrashed him at ping-pong yeah <laughs> so we like planned to do the ping-pong thing because we're like cool oh, visually that'll be funny and i knew i think i saw, that was something that came out with zoom i saw that I heard him say he's got an Oculus Quest. And I was like, all right, I've got one of them. I was like, tell you what, there's this great ping pong game. I'll take it up. And if he's up for it, we'll do ping pong in his living room. So that was like planned. But then also the role play that we do was planned. I was like, I'll try and get him to do some role play. Might be quite funny. And then that keeps the the kind of the story moving as well. So it doesn't get too far away from just into kind of like me having a laugh with someone. It just needs to kind of always... It can veer from the path a wee bit, but it needs to still remain on point. So I would plan stuff like that. And again, like things would change and spontaneous things would happen on the shoots. But there was probably more planning than I'm normally used to putting in as well, if you know what I mean. But I think that was good. It was was, um, It's just different working in TV. It was a bit of a learning curve for me as well, compared to say like some of the short films I do that are probably more comparable to like, freestyle jazz at times or something you know <laughs> it's a ridiculous comparison to make but yeah
1: <laughs> do you that voice that or that kind of idea you have before you go in where you're trying to work out where it pieces into the wider story do you have that voice in your head when you're on camera kind of filming is that kind of an inner dialogue that's going on alongside the actual present moment
2: these are good uh these are good good questions good filmmaker questions <laughs> this is this is, i'm enjoying this uh <laughs> It's a good question because I don't... It's hard to say what is going on in my head when I'm actually filming. Like, there's definitely... I had to prepare some kind of loose questions to keep me on track. So, like, every night before filming... Bearing in mind, I was filming sometimes, like, six days in a row. So you're filming and then going back to either the hotel or your house to prepare for the next day's shoot. And probably, you know... Phone, I, I would always phone the contributor up the night before just to give a quick hello for like a couple of minutes to, you know, just to say hello before I turned up. So it wasn't like too weird. But, um, cup
1: of tea conversation. But yeah,
2: the, uh, <laughs> the, um, notes that I would do in my notebook were kind of questions, but there would also be a little bit at the end, like, don't forget to take a production still, don't forget to film like a cutaway of the outside of the house like there was a few things it was like almost a little checklist of like don't forget to do those as well and the kind of story point would be there of like why like I'm interviewing one specific person just to make sure that I always got something that you know would bring it back to why we were there which I get you know like I'm and there was I wasn't perfect at it there was a couple of shoots maybe that uh, I forgot stuff and you're Annoyed at yourself, but then you just have to like keep going. You're just like, I've got another shoot tomorrow, so I don't have time to sit about and and like be annoyed at myself, which is refreshing and also like highly stressful. You're just like, oh god, I might have messed that whole thing up, but uh, I've got to do tomorrow's shoot now. So, and that was like that for eight weeks. So, yeah.
1: Can you try and pick up the pieces in the next day's shoot? Do you kind of change your plan of attack for that day if you've maybe missed something the, the day before, and you kind of want to put more emphasis onto that?
2: Uh, Not necessarily, yeah I mean it wasn't filmed chronologically so it, but yeah there's an element of that sometimes if I'd filmed a scene for an episode and then like a week later I was filming what I suspected might be the next scene or like at least in the same episode I could be like well I didn't ask him that but I'll ask her that because maybe that'll come into, and that did work a few times so there's like certain questions in the series that probably i imagined a different contributor saying but luckily someone else said it and i was like oh good (laughs) we can use that but yeah but it is really i mean you can't make anyone say anything they just you, you just have to kind of hope that they say something that is on what you want to look at and the best stuff is when people say things that you don't expect so that's always the more exciting thing but yeah you kind of want to stay away from like those classic TV documentary answers that sometimes people give and keep it more conversational and keep it a little bit more unexpected. And I'm, I, th- I would say at times there is slightly more formulaic bits here and there, but hopefully on the whole, there's a lot more of that kind of fresh out of nowhere stuff where you're just like, oh, that's funny, you know, wait a minute, my mum's knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: did you find a difference when you went back and did the other interviews after the pilot because i found from doing the podcast in lockdown people have almost been a lot more willing to open up did you notice that at all when you went back to the episodes two to six after because the first one was done like pre-lockdown
2: I don't know. It's hard. I'd, yeah, there maybe it was a bit of that in that, like, I was lucky enough to be able to go and film with these people. But actually, there wasn't a lot of socialising necessarily allowed when we were filming. I mean, there was a bit, but things were getting slowly worse again as we were kind of filming. People maybe were happy to kind of connect in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been before. I don't know. I feel like they would have been. In, I feel like the people we spoke to would have been pretty similar before lockdown and after yeah but it is an interesting thought to think that maybe that had an effect as well I suppose we weren't topic wise we never spoke about lockdown much in the series in fact it's not mentioned yeah not at all I don't think at all really no I was quite keen not to because I just felt like people are people are fed up of it yeah so it's it was good and it gives people a bit of a break from it as well you know watching something that almost feels like things were before but um but yeah i don't know it's a good point it's uh people people on the whole were pretty open with me which was which was great
1: i guess it kind of brings us onto something else in that the kind of films i became familiar with you through and that you kind of started off making were very personal pieces about your family but pretty much all the contributors in this series with the exception of a few you hadn't met before is there a value in kind of having that clear Outside perspective on someone As opposed to having that previous connection with them
2: Yeah, I suppose I was keen I I was keen for the series to have A sort of um, homemade feel And like, that's why I was quite keen In like each episode, almost every episode You kind of have someone that I know In it, just as a sort of like Almost like a starting point In a lot of cases, it's like, well Okay, fitness, like who do I know that Does fitness, it's like Well, Rachel does fitness Uh, In fact that's almost all she does now. So I'm going to just go and So it kind of like would make sense that like my starting point would be like, oh, well, that person up the road from me has just bought a house. I'll go and speak to them. You know, like, so there was, I always wanted to have that. But then obviously I didn't want the whole series to be just people, you know, I was like, but it has to kind of go, it has to be an expanded journey that starts at home and then goes out and meet other people and then come back. And I was like, ideally it has to be people that have a bit of a story or something interesting as well you know and i think we got that i think we got um a good mixture of like just decent folk that you know maybe on the surface as well like they wouldn't have like a a kind of headline sell do you know what i mean like uh they're not celebrities do you know what i mean like in the way that some documentaries maybe go for but they're like really engaging interesting people that like have a lot to say like ordinary i suppose ordinary like i I don't know if that's the right word but you know what i mean like not seeking out like obscure or weird people but just looking for people who you enjoy being with and enjoy spending time with as well like on camera and has been part of the film so it's kind of i think it's a good mix i mean there's the odd sort of higher not higher but i suppose like we got ian sterling for episode four and he's definitely one of the bigger names in the series but then that's contrasted with going to speak to andrew you know who is like a high school teacher in sky do you know what i mean and it's like it's not just not just aiming for one type of person but like aiming for loads of different kind of interesting people um i think i can't even remember what we were talking about now <laughs> like i've wandered <laughs> off into talking about different contributors
1: that's maybe why people are yeah. more open as well though Because they kind of have this opportunity that they wouldn't normally, where they can completely... I mean, they're probably not going to have the opportunity again, to be honest, to kind of be on TV in that way.
2: Something we always ask people was like, oh, have have you been filmed before? And some of them had, some of them hadn't. And I just always... It doesn't really affect whether or not I'll film with them. It's just a sort of curious, like, oh, i quite like to know some of them will get filmed again due to the nature of their work. But yeah, others... Probably won't. So it is like a, quite a special occasion, maybe for them. I don't know. I do like to think like I'm kind of making it with the person as well that I film with. It's like whatever scene that we do together. I like to feel like they're as involved in it as I am in terms of what we do and the direction of what we do and like the the questions and the you know like they can push back a bit and question me on stuff in some cases and and things like that.
1: Yeah, it's like the bit when you're in the cinema with um i can't remember her name uh dana yeah, yeah and she said you say it, it feels like a test and she says who's testing who <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i like that that was good yeah she she um yeah she she bounced back a few questions i think like yeah stuff like that i really like because you don't you don't expect to see that in maybe a, a sort of documentary on the tv so yeah, I think it makes it different.
1: The segue into that scene as well as you doing the mic check, like the kind of transition from the previous scene into it is you asking her to say her name and kind of test it out and it just gives it that... It's like you're pulling back the curtain, really. It's that kind of Gonzo-like documentary yeah. filmmaking.
2: Yeah, I like the viewer to feel like they're involved in the journey and kind of with me every step of the way, even things that go wrong. So if someone doesn't turn... well. someone doesn't turn up actually we might um might have a bigger problem but uh did that happen if we didn't yeah no but (laughs) (laughs) someone was late once but um i didn't i didn't put that in because that would have just been like needlessly (laughs) embarrassing someone i think we like not getting permission for footage in episode four um call of duty call of duty footage we didn't get permission for was kind of we had a bit. Of, we had like a few days left before we were going to like the online, like the post production. So when the footage kind of suddenly, we couldn't use it, and it was like, I'm not. We can't take the scene out because we don't have anything else to put in. You know, we can't go and refilm something. It's just ridiculous. I don't have time. And I was just kind of like, well, now nah, the solution is, I'll just blur it and I'll do voiceover and. It's funny. About how we didn't get permission. And actually, I prefer, I weirdly prefer the scene now than when it was more of a normal scene. Because it was still good before. But now I'm like, yeah, like you don't expect to see that. Like that's just like, yeah, we didn't get permission. So it's adding,
1: it's like adding three other things. It's adding surprise, it's adding comedy, and it's grounding it. You're kind of turning what would be, you're adding like another three layers to that scene by doing that.
2: And it's kind of ludicrous because (laughs) like, if you want to watch someone playing Call of Duty, it's not difficult. Just Google it. Loads of people doing it right now, as we speak. Millions of people watching streamers do it. But for some reason, there's more people are watching those streams right now as we speak online than will probably ever watch my documentary series. But we weren't. We were refused permission because it's a TV thing for some reason. It's
1: weird how things don't catch up very quickly. Like you can't see that being yeah. a problem in like 15 years or whatever
2: nah it was strange. We were led to believe that we would be fine to get permission, but and we all kind of assumed as well a wee bit, maybe just because it's like, well, there is loads of people doing it, and the guy we're speaking to is quite like well known in the Call of Duty community and stuff, so we thought it would be okay. But we weren't showing anything like ludicrous either. It was, it wasn't slagging off the game or anything. um So yeah, that was a, that was an interesting one, but these things happen, and. uh I'm sure they've got their reasons somewhere.
1: Yeah, so we've spoken about that episode a few times now. Was part of the series about kind of almost challenging stereotypes? Because part of that episode I really like where you go and speak to the, I can't remember if it's a psychologist or just studying video games at the university, and she kind of unpacks why Even, people like yeah. video games. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think definitely throughout the whole series, there's a sort of um, digging into stereotypes and it's like, well, the gamer stereotype or the stereotype of someone who lives at home with their parents and kind of going into that and challenging it a bit and also like saying well is there a bit more behind the surface like Alistair in episode one who lives at home you maybe on the surface sort of see him and you then see all his Doctor Who stuff in his room and you think oh yeah maybe he should move out but then a bit like me with all my DVDs, but then... Uh, you pulled the rug like, out
1: from underneath us on that one, actually.
2: But then, yeah, it's like once you get to hear why, it's like, well, no, he had, um, you know, his, his kidney failed and he had to, he lost his job and his girlfriend and had to move home and his dad donated a kidney to save his life. And it was a big, long process. And it's like suddenly when you look back at him in his bedroom, it's changed, you know, it's not the same context anymore. And so your own, as a viewer, you may have judged him slightly when we started speaking to him, but then by the end of the interview, hopefully you've, um, kind of reflected a bit on, on, on that. Well, that was my hope anyway, but, and yeah, throughout the series, hopefully we've done a bit of that kind of challenging stereotypes. Yeah.
1: Well, you understand him or you understand why he would have his room that way, because he's maybe kind mm-hmm. of looking back to a sweeter time.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, and there's nothing wrong with, I mean, like, my room's full of random stuff. I mean, (laughs) it's like, it's it's ridiculous, like DVDs and just jigsaws. I mean, like, uh, there's so much stuff. uh, it's, It's daft. And the thing in my head, which I suspect probably was going around his head as well, is like, well, it's a temporary solution living at home. I think whenever you move home, you always see it as a temporary thing and like, I'm not gonna bother putting like stuff on the walls because I'll be out again in a couple of months once I've sorted myself out. Five years later, you've things have just kind of <laughs> like piled up on top <laughs> of each other. And in my head it's still a temporary solution. So yeah, like I saw a bit of that in in um, in what was maybe going on. Yeah, it could be I could be wrong. He might just maybe if he had a house he would also decorate it with Doctor Who stuff. I don't know, which would also be totally fine
1: yeah so did you move away and come back home
2: yeah i did, did i did live in a flat from my final year of university with a pal and then i moved home and then actually i moved out a year later for about 10 months and then moved back again and was like do you know what i'm just going to move back home and save up that'll be it do you know like i'll um so like i'll be home for about a year or something you know but still here
1: Well, that's the other interesting thing about the first episode is where you kind of look at the fact that house prices are rising faster than you can save up, which is kind of taking quite a broad topical issue and putting it in this personal setting. Yeah,
2: that's the annoying thing because, yeah, I've been able to save a bit of money every year and it's not like I'm not working, do you know what I mean? I'm like out working all year round, you know, like, uh, and, uh, Saving money each year as well by living at home, but then, yeah, in Edinburgh the house prices what is it? They went up like eight percent last year. Like eight percent. It, surely, it's going to crash loads. after
1: COVID, though. Like you've people got to keep feel saying that's that's that,
2: coming. but people were saying that last year. Like they were like, "Ah, it's going to crash" because the market's crashed and stuff. And I started reading up on it and trying to understand what that even meant. Couldn't get a straight answer, but then it didn't happen. They went up by eight percent, and you think, "Oh, so maybe they'll crash now?" But then. They're still going up, and then you think maybe it just won't. But so, there
1: must be something going wrong there. Of the market is in pieces because no one's buying houses, but the prices are still going up. But that can't I th- end yeah. well.
2: I Don't know though. I think people are buying.
1: Are they buying? And getting yeah, I suppose. once lockdowns.
2: I think they're still. I think it's still happening, but I don't. I don't really. Um, I don't really understand it because there's loads of stuff like stamp duty. I, I don't even know what that is. That's stamp duty. I mean everyone keeps saying there's a stamp duty holiday and I'm like what what does that sentence mean? A stamp duty holiday? Someone explain this to me and stop assuming that I know what that is. So yeah, um anyway, but yeah, like you know what I mean it's 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 a bit of a mess, but I'm pretty determined this year to finally move out.
1: What area of the documentary series were you most interested in kind of exploring and learning about?
2: Uh so, like, what kind of episode maybe interested me the most?
1: Yeah. Or what did you, Which one did you learn the most from? Which experience that you had during the series?
2: I don't know if it's hard to pin, pin down one. I think, like, I learned so much f- in different ways from each person I filmed with rather than maybe one episode specifically. And, I, and coming away from it had an overall feeling of, like, you know, it was it was nice to be able to connect with all those folk and, like, see how everyone was living their little lives and kind of we're all quite we all just kind of want to everyone kind of wants the best for themselves and for other people and it was a really positive feeling coming away from it I think I don't know if that was a learning thing or if that was just a general feeling of coming away from it but I mean I enjoyed the gaming one going up to Sky and stuff but I don't like I don't know kind of just enjoyed them all it's quite hard to say like the fitness one I think turned out into kind of quite a good episode and I did enjoy filming it but doing the workouts was like awful in terms of like it was exhausting and it's not comfortable feeling that exhausted when you're also filming because it's not like yeah i had a bit of help for the two workout scenes like the researcher came and helped with another camera but i'm kind of still making the film and like asking the questions and then on top of that doing a workout you know it was like tricky to film but you know rewarding in terms of the finished result i was really happy with where some of the gaming episodes I was, like, were really fun in terms of like I got to sit and play video games. So, but uh, did I learn anything? I don't know. I did learn things, but did I learn as much? I don't know.
1: Well, when you're meeting all of these people who, to some degree, are well, this is the thing about it, is that you meet a lot of people who are completely different to you, and you meet a lot who are a bit closer and a bit more similar. Did it affect your perception of yourself in your own life by exploring all the kind of different ideas of what life could be like as a millennial?
2: I'm still equally as embarrassed about a lot of the things probably like living at home but i've kind of owned it so much that like i've become like i'm like it's fine do once you, know you make
1: a documentary tv series out of it for the bbc you kind of get a bit it. more claim over it
2: <laughs> that was the <laughs> that was the idea i was like, i'm just gonna own it i'm just gonna <laughs> drive this right into the ground like no one can slag me off because you know it's that thing of like no one will be able to slag me off for it because i've done it to death do you know what i mean like i've really hammered it home fully put it on the tv exposed my bedroom in all its you know glory so yeah there, there was that uh, that element to it. it's a bit like I heard a interview with a comedian at some point I don't know which comedian and which interview but I feel like I've heard it said a few times almost is like sometimes what stand-up comedians do is um if there's something obviously physically there that you would make a joke at the first thing they say on stage is like they kind of make fun of themselves and they sort of own that thing to sort of make sure an audience doesn't do it or something there's like
1: makes them indestructible
2: a wee bit if you if you're able to own your own like insecurities like that and like your own what people might criticize then it's like well you're kind of one step ahead hopefully so it's maybe the whole thing is a slight maybe the whole series is like a defense mechanism i don't know <laughs> do you know what i mean
1: It's almost like taking control over your emotions to a certain extent. Like I was watching in the company of insects as well today, Mm -hmm. which kind of feels like you, I don't know, is that you trying to take control of that experience when you may be feeling a little bit out of control?
2: Yeah, that was definitely a way of um, expressing myself and how I felt in a way that was, I guess, quite controlled and probably quite unconventional, but it felt like I needed to do something But the conventional things I'm not maybe that good at, (laughs) like talking to people about it or crying about it or whatever. So I thought, like, what am I doing? Like, not. it kind of was like, yeah, I'll just film these insects and like talk about it to myself, I suppose. And then ultimately an audience. But I mean, the, the primary motivation with that was for me to process what I was feeling and turn it into something something hopefully beautiful but i guess that's going to be a matter of opinion but something that could like honor the person that i'd lost i guess
1: Yeah. yeah i mean when i when i went into watching the series i was thinking it's going to be a miracle miracle if i get through this and don't have an existential crisis and I made it. I was okay. <laughs> and then today, I put on in the company of insects, and that was where you got me. You sideswiped me when That's... I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yeah,
2: very different. I uh, uh, very different uh, thing. Thing to watch that. Yeah, I don't know if you. I don't know if I'd be allowed to put that on the TV. Even it's, it's probably too. It's quite dark. Too abstract. Yeah, it's. Um, I d- I wanted it to be like. Uh, I didn't want to be limited in any way by it. I wanted to just kind of go hundred percent. I don't want any compromises here in terms of, you know, because there's always compromise if you're doing something for for someone else. So if it's a commission from anyone, whether that's the BBC or whatever, there's always a slight compromise. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's not too many compromises. And actually the BBC series was pretty good overall. There wasn't too much. But, you know, I don't want to be like, I don't want to have to take a swear word out, you know, for example, or... Uh, anything like so it was just like right so i'm doing it for myself there was no money involved you know i'm the only one i've got to answer to and just kind of let out and i think in the rawness of that hopefully you know that maybe gets to people if they if they can get past the fact that i'm like eating a biscuit three minutes <laughs> in <or> whatever <laughs> was that made during the filming of this show uh <laughs> We're back to me struggling with my own timeline here. <laughs> um, so that was made in 20. Oh, God. I think I put it online last year in the summer.
1: I thought it came out in January this year. I'm maybe getting mixed up.
2: Nah, put, nah summer last year. But then I think I put it online to coincide with, uh, with the Glasgow Short Film Festival online screenings that they did in August last year. Ah, okay. So I think. So it'll have been online since then, but like there's been various things that have like promoted it since. I would have filmed it 2019 in May, June, July, and then we did the music towards the end of 2019. Yeah, ah, so the pilot was getting made at roughly the same time. Although, from my memory, I'd done a lot of the filming before the pilot, because I don't think I started the pilot until July, and I think I did a lot of the filming for this in kind of May, April time. So yeah, just before but kind of, yeah, around about the same time. Although weird, because in my head, they don't feel very linked at all. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's maybe why they were kind of shot around the same time, though, because they're kind of tapping into your creativity at either side. Yeah, yeah, one's like the kind of TV, like, quite high produced, and one is completely raw and kind of DIY and, yeah, pretty open.
2: Yeah. So they're both pretty open, I That's guess, it. though, in different ways. They're different things, yeah. I think, like... I think that in the, company, in the Company of Insects could easily push people away early doors. Do you know, they could start, they start it and could quite quickly go, oh, that's not for me. Whereas the TV series hopefully like lets you in a bit more. Do you know, it doesn't um, try and exclude anyone. It's quite a hopefully universal entertaining experience. In the Company of Insects could be, but it's also not apologetic about what it is. It's quite, here's what I'm going to do come with me on that little 10 minute <laughs> meditation or don't and definitely no hard feelings either way like I was so doing it for me that like it, it was kind of like no one could watch it and it wouldn't matter and it has gone down well with people but it's not like it did get the distribution of it did get slightly messed up with coronavirus but the people that have seen it have really responded well to it but yeah it's um It also depends on your own experiences, I think, though, that film. I think that's something that a lot of people could watch. And if they haven't gone through something like that, not see it in the same way. Whereas if they can relate it to their own experience, they'll get it a lot more, I think, if that makes sense.
1: That could even make it more powerful, though. Like if someone watches it when they haven't experienced that and then they come back to it after they have, suddenly it takes on a completely new shape and meaning for them.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's films that that's happened for me with. Like I've, I've... rewatched loads of films that maybe I watched when I was fifteen and you're like, I just thought that was an action film. And then you watch it like uh when you're thirty and you've got a bit of life experience under you and uh you're like, oh that's what that film is about. <laughs> like sitting there in tears. You know? It's like it's funny how that happens. Starship um, Troopers. Hang on. There, Starship There troopers, might be a little bit it. of satire going on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I saw a clip of that the other day actually. Um yeah it's classic it was a classic, it's a classic. <laughs> I, that's not when i've rewatched, but yeah I, I did watch that when i was 15 or so and my mate showed me <laughs> when i was fifteen or something that was he brought it around on vhs very excitedly but yeah you know what i mean i think that's uh probably probably would be the case but i do like to do a film every year as well that's just for me you know i haven't done that this year or the last year because i did the series took so much time that i've just not had time to do any kind of other projects really but hopefully this year i'll maybe find a bit of time to like do another little small thing just for myself you know
1: is that kind of just to keep you in touch with what's like at the core of your creativity and what you're interested in or why do you kind of feel the need to to want to do that yeah i think so
2: i think it's just to. Uh, yeah i think it is it's just like painting painting a picture for yourself and not always doing commissions you know i think it's like that's, that was a bit of a flowery way of saying it wasn't it but yeah it's um <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like, it's good to... Because yeah. you don't... You get to... I mean, it's great with the series. I've got to do so much of what I want to do. And I've done it in a style that I want to make programs in. I'm in there. My insecurities are in there. Like, it's very personal as well as being an entertaining program for TV. Which is amazing to be allowed to do that. But there is still a bit of me inside that's like, I want to go and film clouds for a couple of days and like, talk about... <laughs> death over the top or something you know and it's like one for yeah, me yeah, one i think for you. it's good to a wee bit i and I've, I've always sort of been a bit like that though throughout uh, yeah i think it's good to do do stuff for yourself as well
1: i wanted to to wrap us up with i was on your website and i came across a section called good documentary questions generator <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and nice. some some felt quite apt for this show that you've just made so that we could finish up with a couple of that. Alright, let's
2: do it. I um yeah, I came up with the idea for that website on the bus home Monday. Emailed my brother who he can make websites and stuff. And I knew he'd done a generator website before. So I emailed him uh and like a day later we had it up and running and like banged a few questions in. And we've never added any questions since. <laughs> so it's like it's remained unchanged for years now. But yeah. Good questions, though. Thanks. These they're quite sorry, I feel like they're quite um classic like almost you know like deep documentary questions, you know. But yeah, I've forgotten what they even are. So,
1: do you ever use them as icebreakers? You use one in um North Murchiston. You yeah. you ask one of the ladies um what would you say if 7 billion people were watching you right now? Aye, I think that's a classic.
2: That's <laughs> I use it in um I use it at the end of Isabella Short film I made with Ross, Hogg. We asked that at the end.
1: Or maybe that's what I'm thinking of, actually.
2: Yeah. Maybe it's both. Like, um, and she's like, she takes ages to think about it and then she says, go away. <laughs> that <laughs> felt, That was another kind of one
1: that swipe me today. Like when she's talking about dreams and stuff and that as well. And you ask what she dreamed um, about and she said, like, I don't dream anymore. It's
2: like, oh. Yeah, that was. That was. Um, it's tough. It's weird watching that back because it, it was. Yeah, it's strange we filmed all that on like in one one or two days and didn't really well two days, and then like made it all from that. And so I'm like, I was amazed about how much stuff we got in a short space of time filming. But yeah, and you won a Bafta for it. And then we we did. we won the Bafta Scotland for it. Yeah, where's the Bafta? Where is it? It's uh, Ross gave it to his mum. Ah, oh, they nice. only give you one. So if you're if you win with someone else, you have this discussion where it's like, well, who? Who gets the trophy? And I'm like, well, it's your gran so it's your gran that's in the film. You're definitely getting the trophy. It's a bit um, cheaper the BAFTAs though. Well, you can <laughs> pay for you can pay for another one if you want. Um, but it's like two hundred quid. So Man. who's got who's got that lying about? Not even got a house yet. But no, it was um it was good though. It was it was um that was great to great to um get the award and get like recognized for A film that you've made with your mate do you know yeah quality (laughs)
1: questions (laughs) right what would you say to your 21 year old self
2: when i was 21 i was still at the art college so i just probably just say like don't don't give up but i probably would say that to myself at any age in the past because there's always a i remember i don't know if it was art college or if it was before that when i was at telford college doing the tv production i remember there was a point where i was like well if it doesn't work out (laughs)
1: like
2: the boots management scheme seems like an all right deal (laughs) right and this was like a genuine like i used to enjoy like working in boots i liked the people i worked with i had a laugh with them i liked my boss and i thought you know what this is all right like if the film thing doesn't work out like maybe this maybe this is all right so i was genuinely like those kind of thoughts would go through my head because there wasn't like, I don't know, there's not like, there wasn't a lot of like, you would see a lot of people go into film and then not really do much with it and then disappear off the radar a bit. Like that was kind of a common pattern of people that I saw in various film schools, various courses and stuff. And you kind of start thinking, well, statistically, I'll probably be one of them as well then. And, like, luckily, I kind of didn't let myself give up because if I'd let any of the failures along the way get to me too much, I might have ended up doing that. And so I think it's just good to reassure people that if you just keep doing it, you know, you'll get better at it and, you know, you'll be all right. You'll be able to do what you want for a living. So
1: I think part of the thing with the film industry as well is that it does take time. Like, you just build up context over time. So if you stay in it for 10 years, you're going to have a much better chance of making it. Then, if you only stay in it for five years, if that makes sense, or making a living out of it rather, yeah, but like you kind of have to stick it.
2: Exactly, out. yeah. If you hang around long enough, they'll give you a job. <laughs> like it's that's the that's the that's the way of it. It's like ah, he's probably not going away, is he? He's probably um, he's probably just going to keep pitching ideas to us until we eventually commission him. <laughs> so, fuck, let's just give him something to shut him up. That's that's what happens. No, uh, I know what you mean. It's it is like yeah, it does take a long time. Like there's a lot, I mean, what is it? when I when did I graduate art college? 2013. Wow. So eight years ago. So it does take a while, but you know, I've done, I've done so much as well. You know, you kind of forget all the films and festivals that you've traveled to and like stuff and like friends that you've met. you know, it's like you suddenly look back and you go, oh, I'm actually doing it. There's like, you're like, oh, I'm actually doing what I want to do. Like, this is actually what I hoped would happen. And I've now done half the things that. I hoped I would do. It's kind of bizarre when you start thinking. I
1: think as well, if you look at your kind of career over the last eight years, year by year, it's been a steady stepping stone. Each year, you've gotten you know a bit bigger and higher on the ladder, and it just keeps a steady incline.
2: Yeah, there's been a progression, and I think without that progression, it would it gets hard to keep motivated. Like it can be quite demoralizing, and there's there's ups and downs. So although there's been a steady progression, there's definitely been quieter stretches of time you know like people might call them dry spells or whatever not necessarily dry and i'm not working just maybe that i'm doing nothing but corporate videos for five months you know yeah like that th- those can be quite difficult times but if you're able to ride them you know you eventually get there and then you get to sit and joke about them years later <laughs> <laughs> like which is which is good but yeah i think a series of lucky breaks but yeah it's like also just keeping making stuff and like some films I'll, do well other films won't do as well sometimes the film that you didn't think would catch on is the one that ends up doing all the festivals you know yeah the film you made in two weeks does better than the film you took a year making like there's no real science to like time doesn't seem to enter into the equation in terms of how long you spent on something as to whether it's good or not or whether people watch it it's like time isn't involved you know they don't care if you spent a year making it if you spent a day making it, it can be funnier than the thing you spent making a year, you know.
1: So. Yeah, it's like preparation plus opportunity equals success. And the preparation you have to do all right. the time, but the opportunity can come at any moment. You just don't know when. You have to make that film in two weeks because if yeah. you hadn't made it in two weeks, it wouldn't have done well, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: exactly. Aye, the urgency of doing it sometimes is like, oh, actually what made it unique and kind of interesting and special. So it's, it is bizarre what happens. But I mean, I, I just feel pretty grateful looking back over all of it in a way. Do you know, it's like, like it's been, been able to do so much in my 20s that's hopefully now set me to a position where going forward, I'll be able to keep doing kind of consistently like the kind of work that I want to make and also new opportunities as they come along. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to say. I still have that fear in the back of my head like, it'll, it'll all disappear and I'll never get asked to work again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no one will ever accept my pitches again. Like that's that's a big, that's kind of that doesn't go away. I don't think does that fuel you yeah. though a wee bit. Aye, oh, yeah. <laughs> it scares me. I don't, but <laughs> it, it, it does. In that, I suppose it does um, motivate you to not stop trying. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Uh, if you ever feel like giving up, you probably need to like change something. You know, yeah, make a change somewhere. Like I remember those uh, a few years ago. I, I was getting a bit fed up with stuff, and I think that's uh, and round about then I kind of did a couple of small radio things um, for Radio 4, for the Josie Long. That the podcast? Pierce Brosnan thing. The Pierce Brosnan one, yeah. <laughs> um, and I like had the most fun I've had making like N ever. Like it was, and we'd love to do more, you know, radio stuff in the future because it was so refreshing to suddenly just remove the visuals almost and just look at it bare bones. In fact, it was when I was doing the STV thing and I think I was getting a bit frustrated with some stuff. Probably when I met you. (laughs) Probably around about the same time, yeah. And yeah, it was just like, it was so much fun just to do the radio documentary stuff. Like, and I say radio documentary, one of them was me telling a story. The other one was a bit more of a documentary, the Pierce Brosnan one. I don't know if I can call the other one a documentary (laughs) because it was just me ranting about a thing that happened. But yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you never know if I like, I would love to do more stuff like that or some kind of uh, you know you never know like a podcast thing or something it just depends i kind of lucky though I feel like I'm always quite busy so as long as what I'm as long as what I'm busy doing is what I want to do you know I'm all right it's when you get busy doing something you don't want to do that's when you start to lose the plot a bit but yeah
1: what will the world look like in 50 years it's number two from (laughs) the (laughs) documentary question that kind of fits into this documentary though that you've just made because it's kind of a lot of the things you're tackling are basically things that are probably going to be normal in 50 years.
2: I <laughs> probably are. Well, 50 years is a long time. What was happening 50 years ago, that's probably a good way to think about it. 1971. 20, 20. Aye, so like some stuff's similar. In fact, stylistically, there's a lot of 70s fashion is actually still quite cool, I think. Quite cool, I feel like. As I said, that is the least <laughs> cool thing. Yeah. Uh, That was quite cool. Do people even say cool? Fashion kind of came back Um, around.
1: It kind of died a little bit in the 2000s and early 2010s and then it kind of was rebirthed in 2015 onwards when all the kind of retro stuff came back in.
2: 50 years is almost like a full cycle. It feels, do you know what I mean? It almost feels like maybe things go back around. I don't know. Um, It's almost terrifying to think what all have happened to the environment and things like that. It's hard. uh, Yeah, so hard to say. I just hope that. I mean, I would be like seventy-one. Yeah, uh, wait a
1: minute. No, wait, eighty-one. 30, eighty-one. Yeah, that was awful math. Even, Why did I say
2: seventy-one? <laughs> yeah, it took took t- t- me took me just as long. Um, I' uh, it's pretty simple math as well. When you're thirty, what what what's the world's going to look like in fifty years? And I'm sat there thinking about it for far too long. Um, yeah uh, yeah, I might not even be here so it's hard to say but if I am hopefully hopefully my world looks like a nice place even if the rest of the world is um, in flames but I, I, I fear that all of us might be headed to um, a difficult uh, future potentially I mean it's getting hot I know people talk about global warming they say it's not quite as simple as you know it's a warm day today but like it was roasting the past three days, and it's March. I don't think that's normal.
1: Well, not of you in Aberdeen. We're still cold and grey up here. Okay, yeah,
2: definitely <laughs> not in Aberdeen. Yeah, you're going to be all right. Global warming. The thing is, with global warming, Aberdeen's probably going to be the sweet spot. we you looking we'll like got, safe like, haven. Yeah, it's going to be it's nice and smooth up there. You need to... Um, build a wall. I don't know. Build a, build a wall around Aberdeen and just... Uh, yeah, that's it. But, nah, I mean, uh, joking about it is... Uh, Almost feels bad in a way because it, it definitely is a problem that concerns me, and I feel like it's taken a back seat the last couple of years because of the virus. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, not even the virus. Though, if you look at like Brexit and independence and all this stuff, that we kind of seem to be squabbling over all these little issues when the world's on fire.
2: Yeah, uh that's that's I know that's uh, in a way that's in the company of insects. Uh, the short film that I made tackles that exact feeling of like despair at like. Everyone's just arguing about stuff and there's like conflict everywhere and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, they're sending people to Mars, do you know, what I mean, whilst the bees are all dying out, do you know, like it just doesn't it's like frustrating and you feel kind of powerless to do anything about it. And yet I'm still driving a car that takes petrol because, you know, this is the other thing
1: the we were speaking about 50 years ago. They had electronic cars 50 years ago. They and they're still, yeah. They're still not. They're electronic cars like back in the fifties and sixties. but like they've been going a long time.
2: That's it. And they just need to be made like, um, they need to be, they need to be more affordable. And there needs to be like, you know, it needs to be like easier to to get there. I mean, it'll maybe it'll get there, but I suppose just even getting, with them, there's like battery issues and stuff, isn't there? But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It's um, it's a bit overwhelming to even uh, think about it. But yeah, if I'm alive, I hope at least I'm able to. Um, phew, smile about something yeah
1: <laughs> let's, uh, let's wrap this up on a positive note mm-hmm. what's the best thing you've ever done in your life one more question from the <laughs> list
2: uh, I feel awful that I put people through these types of questions um, <laughs> I mean there's different things best thing I've ever done for myself is probably different to say best thing I've done for someone else, do you know what I mean Like, there's, there's different um, barometers best thing I've ever done like nothing's even come to mind like i'm s I'm scanning the folders, and I'm like
1: artistically then
2: artistically, don't even know if that'd be for me to say, but I was always pretty happy with taking stock. I always feel like that was a pretty solid we package <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't cut don't don't edit this so you edit out the you changing the question to artistically. So it sounds like I'm just being a dickhead and being like, uh, <laughs> what's the best thing you've ever I done I know I won. Taken stock. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you know what I mean? But I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of a film like that, I feel like that's just one that I'm like, when I see it back, I'm like, ah, it's tight.
1: <laughs> it's the same with the Brexit film. Do you kind of prefer your films that orientate around or simple concepts?
2: Yeah, maybe. Some people say The Lady with the Lamp's the best one.
1: Another simple concept.
2: It's a one-shot effort. I'd say Tweedy's pretty solid as well yeah for sure don't know you're just me talking about how solid all my films are but yeah <laughs> I don't know I think it is one of those things it's like I'll have my go through phases of liking different stuff but it's for other people to judge really probably rather than me yeah